This is Jake Watson. You're listening to Pro Lacrosse Talk. On Shriver. Snyder with scores. Now it's Brett Cadell scores. Hands off for Ravel. Switches hands and scores. Kylie Elmiller showing off those shifty skills. Right off the bat, there's Lyle Thompson. Welcome to Season 2 of the Pro Lacrosse Talk Podcast, the voice of Pro Lacrosse. I'm Hutton, he's Adam, and together we're bringing you interviews from all your favorite players and coaches, as well as news and analysis from all four professional lacrosse leagues. Well, welcome to another episode of Pro Lacrosse Talk. Today I'm joined by PLL analyst and head of PLL stats, Jake Watts. Jake was a part of Moneyball Lacrosse with Joe Keegan. He joined in 2017 and now works with the PLL. Uh, he's going to help us preview the PLL Championship Series today, as well as talk to you a little bit about how you can use analytics to build a winning flow fantasy roster. Uh, but first, Jake, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm um, great, man. Thank you for having me on. Really excited. No, of course, we're, we're really interested to hear your, uh, your thoughts on these PLL rosters heading into the PLL Championship Series. We love what you guys have been doing at PLL Stats. Um, so to start though, I want to kind of talk about Moneyball Lacrosse, which is kind of, you know, the, the forerunner to now PLL stats. So when did you first get involved with Joe Keegan on Moneyball Lacrosse and how did that kind of evolve into your position now? So I got started with Moneyball Lacrosse in 2017. I actually dove in first, uh, with the NLL, um, where we were stat tracking and writing analytic blogs, uh, on the indoor game and we moved to the outdoor game. So that was in 2017 that we've been working on it for a while. Um, that's where we really started um, crafting the system that we're using now. Um, pretty innovative system that really tells the story of the game. The box score is really surface level, and I, I believe that what we do um, helps show how players score and where they score from. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And I know some of the stuff you guys have been working on uh, now with PLL stats is some advanced statistics. Um, what trends did you kind of find in your first year, you know, covering the PLL um, what did you kind of look at? I know you guys have some opinions on, you know, where you do- where players dodge from, whether it's from the alley, from X, or from the wings. Uh, what were some insights that you guys found when you looked at the stats you kept during 2019? Uh, so you're right. The first uh, one that we saw was that dodging from up top usually tends to players fading away from the goal, providing a lower shooting angle. Um, I think this has been, like, common knowledge, but we were able really to put numbers to it and show that it's pretty inefficient, not saying that, players need to avoid it altogether. But I think what we found was dodging from the wing and especially from the two-man game gives you a better angle at the goal and also a higher shooting percentage. Um, So it wasn't utilized uh, a lot this year. So we're interested to see um, if that's an increasing trend. And also we're trying to convince either even youth coaches to start um, teaching this style of dodging. I mean, I've been talking to a bunch of coaches um, on – this is like kind of what you should think about and implement earlier on because I can remember my early lacrosse, lacrosse careers. It's not even taught really at the earlier levels, especially for midfielders. It's like, mm-hmm. hey, you're going to stay up top. Don't even come down to this attackman area. So I think what we're trying to do is, you know, just innovate the offense a little bit. Yeah, no, I think it's important too, like you mentioned the youth level because, um, you know, we had our mumbo sets when I was in high school and college but for the most part like even in college it was dodge from the middies work it through x and then re-dodge from up top um and as you mentioned you're kind of limiting your shooting angle as you get closer to the cage because you're you know down the alley whereas you guys have found like when you're sticks to the inside you know a lot of the canadians uh kind of already know this from the box game um but you like you said you increase your shooting angle so i don't know when i sat in at laxcon joe keegan's 
talk, it kind of made me rethink like, you know, what we were even doing, you know, in high school and college uh, in terms of our offensive sets. And I think, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting too, that you mentioned that, you know, it's not just the pro level, it's at all levels, this can be done. Um, so going off of that too, what roster kind of looking at right now, do you think it's kind of set up the best to kind of work from the wings? I know the archers did it a lot last year, um, but are there any of the other teams that are, you think set up best to kind of dodge from the wings? Yeah, I would say number one being the archers for sure. You've got a guy like Ryan Ambler, who's probably one of the best at dodging from the the lefty wing over there. Um, another one being John Crawley. John Crawley uh, is a guy that inverts, but also very good uh, from dodging from the wing for for the Atlas. Typically, they only dodge from up top last year, but they give him a little bit more opportunities from the wing. I could see um, uh, that being pretty successful for them. And then I look at a team like Chaos. You've got a guy like uh, Josh Byrne sitting on the left uh, left wing there. Didn't play every single game last year, but if he's fully healthy, I mean, I think he can really uh, dominate from that position. And then you're also bringing in newcomers uh, like a Curtis Dixon, who I could see dodging more from um, that that right side, that righty wing area, um, typically where he dodges from in, in the indoor game. No, absolutely. It'll be interesting to see how some of those newer players kind of come into the fold. Uh, what are some other newer players, I guess, that you're more excited to see? It can be offensive, defensive side, but, you know, either coming over through the entry draft or even the waiver wire, are there any players in particular you think are going to fit in the PLL style really, really well? I know we talk a lot about Zach Courier, but are there any, you know, Zach probably up there at the top of the list. Or is there anybody else, too, that you think is kind of people are sleeping on because he wasn't in the PLL last year? Uh, a guy like Eli Gobrick really stands out to me. Uh, probably a name that not a lot of PLL fans know, but they will get to know really soon. Um, a guy that has shown a history of dodging the best attackman in the world and Jordan Wolf um, and Rob Pinnell before. Um, so that's a guy I'm really excited to see on the field. And um, joining a, a Archer's defense that was already one of the best in the league last year, um, I mean, it's just going to make them even better. Um, and then you mentioned Zach Courier. I mean, I think the PLL is built for a guy like that. Um, so I'm really uh, interested to see how that plays out. Um, but, yeah, a guy like Eli, um, I think he's going to be a household name, and I'm really excited to see. Yeah, no, I, I think Eli's going to do great on that Archer's defense that, you know, Tony Rush got to, I think, I forget, what was the, the how many goals did they let up? I think they were averaging around, like, only 10, right? 10, 10 per yeah. game, something like that? Yeah. Right. So. Yeah, they, they had the uh, the lowest goals per game average in the league um another thing I kind of wanted to talk about too that you guys have been talking a lot about on PLL stats is quote-unquote punting on fourth down which in lacrosse terms is essentially you know teams getting uh the ball behind the net with you know less than like 10 seconds left on the shot clock kind of the limit the other teams from subbing and their transition offense uh talk to us about which teams kind of do that the best and how that translates to a successful transition defense so you mentioned earlier what trends we've been seeing in the a really a uh, top trend that we've been seeing as well is transition defense is paramount to winning. Um, and that's evident by whip snakes being the number one transition defense in the league, Redwoods being the number two transition defense in the league. And then your two last place teams, Atlas and Chrome being the worst transition teams in the league uh, defensive wise. So to me, that's pretty eye popping um, that it's, like I said, crucial to your team's success. So when we talk about punching on fourth down, this is actually a coin by Joe Keegan. It's really, like you said, whip snakes, get the ball to Matt Rambo really late in the shot clock. So they're, they're able to either sub off early or, or pull their middies back a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you can really trust the, trust the Matt Rambo with the ball late in the stick. I mean, a one-on-one with him late, uh, late in, the, in the shot clock is 
probably going to work out well for you either way. Um, but that's that's kind of the theory behind it is to help your transition off uh, defense. So not everybody's collapsed towards the net. Um, mm -hmm. So you guys, ha you're, you have guys a little bit uh, towards midfield or subbing off early so you can, you know, get your specialists on. And is that, uh, you know, our team's able to do that. Is that more of a schematic thing, you know, where, you know, the Whipsnakes implement that and they execute it really well? Or is that another personnel thing too, where, you know, the Whipsnakes have good uh, short stick defensive minis that they're able to get on like Ty Warner um, or, you know, another team like the Redwoods that have good two-way guys like Brent Adams and Sergio Perkovic. Is that kind of, you know, again, a, a scheme thing or more of a personnel thing, do you think? Or a mixture of both maybe? Uh, I mean, it's probably a little bit of, of scheme and personnel. I mean, you've got um, – for the whip snakes, you've got their two defensive middies and Jake Bernhardt and Ty Warner. And in my opinion, I think Ty, Ty Warner is in general one of the best defenders in the league, um, pole or no pole. Um, mm -hmm. So you want to get that guy on the field, you know, like he's he's can guard anybody from midfielder to attackman. So I, I would I would think um, that you know Stags is like, hey, I need to get this guy on as many possessions as I can. Mm -hmm. um, and so. I would say personnel definitely plays a part in it. A team like the Archers, too, um, where they have their two defensive middies that they really focus on subbing in on every single one. Um, another Archers being another team um, that was really good in transition defense as well. So, Yeah, no, and uh, I think that's it's going to be interesting to see, too, how some, some newer guys come in and how teams like, you know, like a Brian Costabile is a guy that can go both ways. So it'll be interesting how, you know, he can kind of upgrade that Atlas midfield a little bit. Um, I want to kind of go into now the goalies a little bit because you mentioned, you know, now that we have a championship series and a lot of games back-to-back -back or within days of apart, a um, teams are going to really need to utilize a two-goalie system. You know, the Archers did it last year to some success. Um, you know, we saw the Chrome kind of switch up their goalie play a little bit. But, you know, the Archers were really the only team that actually used a two-goalie system. Do you think more teams this summer are going to use that? And uh, what are the kind of the best rosters right now with two goalies, do you think? Yeah, I could see um, a couple teams using it for sure. The for sure the archers. I mean, I, I look at a, a team like Chaos. I know um, Andy Towers mentioned in the past that he, he's probably not going to utilize it a lot. But when you got a guy like Dylan Ward sitting on your bench, um, I mean, I don't see why why not using him. And then Blaze, you got the goalie of the year. Um, for me, it because of the shortened tournament, it's like you can't really ride out like. A, a bad quarter, a couple bad quarters, a five goal run, you know, every goal is going to matter in this tournament and a 10 game season, you're able to, all right, he can have one bad game or one bad half, you know, and we'll ride that out. So for me, I think you, these coaches are just going to have a tighter leash um, mm -hmm. on, on a goalie um, depending on the flow of the game. You know, if it's late in the third quarter and your guy lets in three or four in a row, you know, like, can you ride that out when you really need to be fighting for a win just because, for me, the number one seed in this tournament is crucial, mm -hmm. right? Because two through seven, you're going to have a tough matchup. Every team is tough. Um, so you want to be able to, to secure that number one seed, one, to play less games, and then two, um, you don't have to play in the first round. But, yeah, so that's, that, that was kind of my view on the, the two goalie system. I don't think it's necessary. Uh, I, I think I did mention that in my tweet. I probably reworded that wrong. I think, it, I think it will help. But when you got a guy like uh, Kyle Bernlor, who, mm -hmm. in my opinion, is best goalie in the world, um, like are, you, you may just write that guy up, you know, because he's, yep. he's so good. So it really probably depend on uh, coaching philosophy. But uh, I do think, you know, it could be used to an advantage. 
Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, and uh, it will be interesting to see, too, like a team like the Water Dogs that have Charlie Cipriano and then uh, Matt DeLuca, two guys that, you know, weren't starters last year competing for that spot, who they go with. And, you know, again, back to the, the whether they have a shorter leash, uh, depending on who who is that, their starter. Um, going off of that, too, uh, I want to get a little bit, you know, more into the roster construction. You know, you have some teams like the Chrome that decided to take a lot of defenders. Uh, you have some other teams that maybe went offensive heavy, like the Chaos. Uh, what were your takeaways from some of these roster constructions? And uh, what, I guess, you know, without saying which one do you think is the best, what are some takeaways, I guess, from those teams that leaned on the defensive side more and those that leaned on the offensive side more? I think the Chrome was a response to last year, right? They, their defense really struggled. Um, so they brought in a lot, a lot of new guys, like a Jesse Bernhardt, who's going to be a huge difference maker for their team. Um, and two, their, I mean, their offense wasn't broken. They were, had the number one settled offense in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you, could, you could rely on those six to seven guys um, to duplicate that this year. Um, so I think that was kind of the, their focus in bringing more defenders is that that, that needed to be their focus um, because it was obviously a, a weakness last year. Um, and then as far as, as, far as chaos, I, I am interested to see, you know, how they – implement all those offensive players I mean they've got like five five guys that can play attack six guys that can play attack like how often are they gonna sub those guys in for me I mean I look at a um, a roster like the water dogs really intrigues me for uh, a tournament like this I mean I think Andy uh, Andy Copeland you know he had an advantage to watch an entire full season of PLO lacrosse and understand the flow and um, the needs of the game mm-hmm. um, so for him to be able to handpick guys that can play two-way, can stay on the field, um, I think is going to be, you know, a big advantage for them. Like, he, he's obviously going for the tactic of trying to keep those defensive specialists off the field, like we mentioned earlier. So if their offensive middies can uh, transition back and forth and stay on for multiple runs, it's really hard for those defensive players, uh, like a Ty Warner or um, the Archers, two guys, um, Dominique and Mark McNeil, Mm-hmm. It's hard to sub them on when the offensive middies are staying on. Yeah, no, and you got, you know, again, probably nobody better to do that than Zach Courier. Uh, Danny Ipe, they added also at the midfield. Um, yeah, so you got a lot of guys there. Um, and even Ben McIntosh, who's, you know, more of an offensive guy, can also probably, you know, play go both ways, keep people on the field as well. Um, and then going off of that, too, anybody from the waiver wire that kind of stood out to you? Um, I know I in particular have one guy that I'm really excited to see, but anybody like – that you think was a huge pickup in the waiver wire that maybe somebody or some people are sleeping on because they weren't going through this entry draft? Uh, I mean, it's got to be for sure Jake Withers. Uh, I, I mean, he's a stud face-off, face-off man that um, is kind of like a Joe Nardella. He can stay in the field. He can, I mean, he can dodge. He, he can play defense. Like, he, he's just a guy that um, is going to be a huge asset for their team. So another reason why I'm excited to watch the Water Dogs um so yeah that's got to be the number one waiver wire pickup for sure um we didn't get to see we haven't seen Jake Withers play on the field in uh over a year but um mm-hmm. a team Canada face-off guy um a guy that has dominated in in the indoor game and now we get to see him um in the PLL I, I think that was a huge pickup for them today I also want to talk to you about Phoenix supplements I started using Phoenix supplements after searching for a supplement brand that didn't use any unnecessary additives. Phoenix's line of supplements use only the required ingredients and is free of any fillers that many supplement companies use. 
Not only that, but their supplements are produced here in the U.S. in an FDA-regulated facility. And the best part is they taste really good. I personally like using the Orange Dreamsicle Protein Blend in the morning, and I use their Chocolate Whey following workouts. So if you're interested in trying Phoenix Supplements, visit their website, fnxfit.com, and use the code PROLACROSS to receive 15% off your order today. Um, so that kind of uh, it brings us to the fantasy aspect of things. You know, Flow Fantasy is doing their own challenge. It's separate from the PLL. Um, but we are, you know, kind of getting preparing. Maybe the PLL does fantasy down the road. Um, but going off of, you know, what you've seen from these rosters, who are some guys that you, you like? Um, let's start off, I guess, with the, the polls. I'll remind everybody what the point system is. So you have goals are four points, assists are five points, two-point goals are seven points, uh, cause turnovers are seven points, a ground ball gets you one point, and then a turnover is minus two points. And then in addition to that, you also have goalies and face-offs are both face-off specialists will both start off with six points. And then based on their percentage, they will get either positive or negative points. So almost like a defense in fantasy football right there. Um, but let's start off with the long poles. Who's a, a long pole, either defender or LSM, that you really think should be at the top of people's draft boards based on their production last year? Number one, for sure, Garrett Eppel. I mean, uh, I think it's pretty obvious based off this, uh, the scoring system, um, seven points for a cause turnover, and then you have the guy that led the league in cause turnovers last year um, is, I mean, is going to be huge. Um, and also, he's a ground ball machine, too. So he just he just stacks on points that way. Um, I actually attached the point system to the PLL stats last year, and uh, he was the number one point getter in overall total points uh, in the league. Um, caveat to that was 30% of those points came against Chrome their first game that they played. He had, like, 10 ground balls and and seven uh, caused turnovers. It was like 63 points or something like that. Um, so that's something you can need to consider. Like, is he going to put up another game like that? Um, either way, I, I still think he's probably the one, one of the best defenders in the league, um, a guy that does a lot of things. And um, based off the point structure of cause turnovers and ground balls, you know, being pretty substantial, um, that's a guy that you can ignore and possibly look at drafting uh, number one overall. No, absolutely. We actually uh, beta tested a draft and he went number one overall in our, our beta test. So uh, I definitely think he's high on my draft board as well. And then what about, you know, offensive minis and attackmen? You know, we mentioned that assists are worth more than goals. So that means like a guy like, you know, Grant Amon's going to probably get more points than a Will Manny who he's feeding. Not that Will can't feed as well, but, um, you know, the feeders are going to get benefit from that a little bit more. Is there anybody that you think, um, you know, people should take right away and is there also maybe a sleeper that you think you know is going to get you a lot of assists that people maybe aren't thinking about uh well attack wise you got to look at Matt Rambo number one um led the league in assists last year um so like you talked about that that point being valuable um he's got to be one of your go-tos um a guy like a guy like Justin Getterding I I really got my my eyes on Josh Byrne I mentioned him I mentioned him earlier um a guy that didn't play every single game last year but when I um, was doing points per game for the fantasy points he came out um, second amongst uh, amongst attackmen so that's a guy you really got to look at um, in, in terms of picking attackmen um, and then after that you got to look at your the two attackmen um, honestly three on the Redwoods I mean they're they're all pretty pretty solid I don't think you can go bad with either Ryder, Matt or Jules um, but those are some guys to keep an eye on um, and then as far as the, for the, the midfield position, I really focus on a guy like Jake Ficaro. He and Tom Scharber are the number one and number two picks. Um, Tom being 
um, the best assister out of the two. Mm-hmm. But because of the point structure, the ball's in Tom's hand so much. He had the most turnovers last last year for for midfielders. Um, and so, you know, that's a little bit of a negative in the fantasy world, right? It's mm-hmm. like we all would pick Tom – um, being a one or two top player in the world, but when you're thinking about, you know, point structure, the fact that he turned the ball over so much hurt him just a tad bit, but I don't think that's too much of a negative there. A guy like John Haas, too, like a guy that never turns the ball over um, mm-hmm. is really valuable, right? Because you're you're not getting negative points. So I think that's a guy you could look at for sure. So those are those are some of the guys I would, I would, I and a guy like Jordan McIntosh didn't get a lot of assists, but just like, puts the ball in the back of the net Mm -hmm. Um, so you can really depend on that you know for sure I think those are some great sleepers both Jordan McIntosh and John Haas because we saw what they did both for their respective teams you know McIntosh had that huge game in that first uh, win for the Chrome and then John Haas hat trick in the championship last season so yeah I think those are two guys people should look at and then that brings us kind of to the goaltenders too we mentioned that it's based on save percentage would you take uh, a goalie with the higher save percentage um, or is it going to kind of depend on whether they use a two goalie system for who you're going to pick right yeah it really because it's dependent on a uh, you know, save percentage you got a guy like Drew Adams who led the league in save percentage um, but he played obviously less minutes and that helps right you don't see as many shots so you're able to you know not as not let as many in so that's a that's a guy you need to look at I um, mean, obviously, Blaze. Um, I mean, he saw the most shots last year and still had the highest save percentage. Like, that's pretty impressive to me um, because he just was getting pelted by shots and mm-hmm. still stopping a ton. Um, and then, uh, obviously, Kyle Bernler, Um, Those would probably be the three guys that I would really look at. Um, so, and then when you think about defenses, um, whip snakes and archers are playing in front of Burnlore and Adams, like that's something you have to consider too. Mm-hmm. Um, so because Blaze had the best percentage, like his defense didn't like help him as much as they should last year. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, just getting pelted and pelted. Um, so when you have the whip snakes and the archers D playing in front of those two guys, like I think that's a huge advantage as well because they're putting guys in better positions shooting wise, like putting them in spots that Kyle and, Drew, they, they want to see shots from from the alleys, not in the middle of the field. Um, so that's that's what you got to consider. You know, that's a great point. And then we, we mentioned the face-off guys a little bit too, another key position, uh, you know, where it's also dependent on face-off percentage. Um, we know we have the Trevor Baptiste and the Joe Nardellas of the world, uh, but they're going to be on the top of everyone's board. But I guess who's an underrated our face-off specialist? You might have mentioned them already with Jake Withers. Is there anybody else too that you would – Maybe consider if you decide not to take a face-off guy right away, um, maybe get in later rounds. Stephen Kelly, for sure, um, would be one of those guys that you could probably snag a little later and still get some solid points from. Mm-hmm. Um, a guy that can stay on the field. I mean, I even saw him, like, take the ball to X last year and start dodging. You know, mm-hmm. like, what other, what other face-off guy do you really see do that? Um, and another, another one that his two um, system helps him out uh, face-off percentage-wise. He's got Brennan Fowler really grinding guys out um, having long face-offs and then coming in and, uh, and then Steven coming in, getting a quick, um, quick face-off next. I mean, he's, mm-hmm. we've heard guys talk about on the stripe, Greg Grinley's new uh, face-off uh, podcast, like how that's been difficult for them to go up against Brendan. And then you have Stephen Kelly come in right after with a different style and way faster and, and 
athletic and it, you know, it's, it's tougher than just seeing the same guy the whole game. Absolutely. And then you mentioned, you know, the stripe, I want to talk about that a little bit because you're you know, assisting Greg Renlian on his new podcast that the PLL just launched. Um, how have you helped him with, uh, you know, taking a deeper look into the face-off position and uh, how, you know, what, what has been some good insights that you found when you're, you know, doing some research for him on that podcast? Yeah, so that started out by him just asking me for a couple of stats and ended up turning into, you know, some really cool in- information. So I rewatched all 37 games and uh, advanced stat track to face-off position. So traditionally, we only looked at face-off guys of win-loss, face-off percentage and uh, GBs. And that, w- that was pretty it. And I think there's a lot more inter- intricacies that go into the position um, and the situation than people take account for. So that was kind of the thought process is we wanted to educate the, the fans, both new and old, of mm-hmm. like what, what actually goes in to these, um, to these matchups. And, and so what, what we really wanted to look at is clamp percentage. First and foremost is like, who's getting to the ball first, right? The clamp is the initial control of the ball. And it was obvious to see that Tommy Kelly of chaos, he's got the fastest hands in the league. His clamp percentage was over 70%. Um, his overall faceoff percentage suffered a little bit. So right there, that can tell, tell us like, hey, he's not utilizing his, his wings as best as he should, or his exits, his exits aren't what they need to be. And mm-hmm. so when he goes on the podcast, he talks about these things. Like um, those are the things he's kind of had to adjust to uh, with the new PLO rules um, of mainly the field size, right? You, you've cut out 10, met- 10 yards in the middle of the field and you've brought those wings closer. And that's really um, affected those guys um, at the faceoff dot on how they need to quickly get out of there or how they need to scoop the ball out. Mm-hmm. Um, so then after that, we really tried to dive into the wings. So we tracked off, who picked up the ball, whether it was the face-off guy themselves or the wing player. So this kind of highlights guys that um, you don't typically see. Um, like a Ty Warner um, was really, really good at um, picking up GBs off the wing. Number one being Scott Ratliff, but he's a household name. Everybody knows he's a beast on the field. Mm-hmm. And two being Joel White, um, the human vacuum himself. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really goes in to show you kind of who utilized those the most. You have like a, a, a guy like Trevor Baptiste who led the league in wing GBs. So if, you know, a guy um, like Tommy could adjust his style a little bit to communicate with those wings better, um, you could really see his um, face-off percentage skyrocket um, if he makes those adjustments. No, absolutely. I have enjoyed listening to to Greg talk. He He's great to listen to, so insightful and as a non-face-off guy myself, you know, I never took face-offs. It's, it's just interesting to kind of get in the mindset of a face-off guy. So I really like what you guys are doing with that podcast. Uh, the final thing I kind of want to end on is, you know, the PL just introduced betting. Um, so just, I kind of want to talk about a little bit, like there was one nugget that I saw on PLL stats. I think people, if they follow PLL stats, it's really going to help them make informed betting decisions because there's one crazy stat that you tweeted out that Ryder Garnsey shot 50%, seven for 14 in the fourth quarter. Um, best percentage you said and second most in goals among shooters with at least 10 fourth quarter shots. That's just crazy to me that he sh- half his goals went in, in the fourth quarter. Um, and I think, you know, there's, we're still not sure what we're going to see from betting in the PLL, but if there are prop bets kind of like that, um, you know, if there's a prop bet that's, you know, who's going to score a game, a game winner or whatever, you know, you kind of want to put your money on Ryder Garnsey. So I guess make the pitch for why people should follow PLL stats 
if they're planning on betting in the summer. Uh, I mentioned earlier we wanted to tell the story of the game, and so we wanted to be a resource for fans, both betting and non-betting. And so, but through the betting lens, what we're showing you is the different styles of teams and specifically how they match up against, you know, others. So if you want to see how the chaos defends against uh, X attackmen, like we're going to show that. Um, you want to see who, who's good at scoring in transition, who's not. Um, it's, pretty, it's pretty valuable information to see. And also we go into a lot of, you know, assisted and unassisted shooting looks. Like a team like the Redwoods gave up the most assisted goals. That means that they're sliding a lot to that first guy. All right. Mm -hmm. So, and on the, but on the inverse, that they gave up the least amount of unassisted goals. So that Dodger that comes off the top, that they're, they're sliding to him quick. They're not letting him get that shot off. And I think that's one of the reasons why you saw them beat Chrome twice in a row, a team that was really prone to unassisted goals, really relying on that one on that one on one dodge to get, get their shots off. Um, So just like nuggets like that to see, the different styles and how they match up, I think is very valuable for fans to understand the game and also understand, you know, where you should place your money. No. Yeah. I think it's awesome what you guys are doing with PLL stats, both on, you know, a micro level and a macro level too. I think you're going to give new fans, you know, opportunity to kind of increase their IQ for lacrosse, which is important. You know, if you, someone's new to the game, they want to understand it. And I think, you know, PLL stats is one of those ways they can kind of, you know, have higher conversations with it. So we really appreciate you coming on Jake. Um, where can people find you on social media? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Jake Watts, uh, Watts with a Z at the end. Uh, I've got the caricature image on there. Uh, that's my main platform that I use. Um, really tweeting out, you know, nuggets all the time. Um, posting articles that uh, we, we put on the website. Um, so, yeah, at Jake Watts on Twitter is where you can find me. All right, well, Jake, we really appreciate you coming on. Uh, it's been awesome talking to you, kind of taking an analytical approach. I myself am not too caught up on the analytics, so it's nice to kind of read, again, like what you guys do on PLL Stats. I feel like I'm kind of learning a lot every day, um, and we're really looking forward to this championship series and you guys breaking it down. So thank you for coming on. Yeah, man, awesome being here, and uh, thank you for what you do. You know, the lacrosse community talks about growing the game all the time, but um, you creating a platform for the sport um, is evidence of that, so appreciate that. Today, I also want to talk to you about Tomahawk Shades. Tomahawk Shades have an array of both quality sunglasses and blue light glasses at a fraction of the cost of popular sunglass brands. Their blue light glasses are perfect for guys like me who spend hours looking at a computer screen when editing. They also have a great collection of sunglasses with pro athletes like Kylie Olmiller, Kyle Harrison, Mike Chanichuk, and Chris Hogan repping the brand. So if you want a pair of the shades the pros wear, visit TomahawkShades.com and use the code PLT20 to save 20% on your order today.